Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2? This morning we're going to be looking at uh, verses 21 to 35, focusing mainly on 29 to 32, but we're going to be um, dealing with some things that are around this. And I, I titled the sermon from a little line that was found in one of my favorite Christmas hymns, O Holy Night, uh, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And as you're looking at the song that um, there's a gentleman by the name of Simeon is singing, this is all we know about Simeon. This is the only time Simeon shows up in the scriptures. But wow, what an appearance he makes. And boy, there's some lessons that are there for all of us on this Christmas morning. In honor of his word, why don't we stand together? Luke chapter 2, again, verses 21 to 35. This is his word. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus and the name, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens first the womb shall be holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So it's the last Sunday of 2022 and some of you may be saying amen and some of you may be saying i'm I'm very sad to to see this year end but wherever we're at this is it and we're getting ready to launch into 2023 and every time we start getting into these new years i I grew up on watching these uh, watching star trek the original series and they for them way in the future they kept invoking numbers like 1997 1998 and here we are in 2023 and no, we don't have a lot of flying cars, and no, we don't have any of the, any transporter mechanisms, but we we can see that things are progressing along at a at a breakneck pace, both medically, technologically, and philosophically, and spiritually. Things are moving at a breakneck pace, and it's important for us to make sure that we end this year rightly, and that we we begin to enter the next year in a way that is that is proper and appropriate as far as what God has called us to do. I love this passage, and it's one of my favorite passages after Christmas. 
but we're going to be getting into a new year and we're going to be getting into some things there. So I wanted to talk about this here because there is just so much that's being said here. This, if, if you grew up in, uh, in the Catholic church or in other uh, liturgical based churches, this is known as the Nunc Dimittis, which is talking about, Lord, let your servant now depart in peace. That's the Latin phrase from that. And, and to see how God was moving everything and putting everything into place for this particular event to happen and for our benefit as well is just really stunning. So just some backstory on some of this. So after eight days, it says that Jesus came to be circumcised, which was according to the covenant that was established by God through Abraham. Um, after the all male children would have to go to the tabernacle or to the temple to have this procedure done. And then after 40 days of the birth, um, which was the purification for, for women who had given birth to these young men, um, there was a 40-day period for that. And so that's when it talks about this time of purification. It's important because as you're reading through this, you may notice that it was said over and over that they did this according to the custom of the law, according to the custom of the law, according to the custom of the law. That's important for us to understand because we know uh, from Scripture that Jesus never sinned. But it wasn't going to be like eight days later after he was born and 40 days later after he was born, he was going to tell Mary and Joseph, okay, now Mary, don't forget what the scriptures say after eight days. Little babies can do a lot of things after eight days and 40 days. Communicate like that's not one of them. So it was important. It was important for them to recognize and for us to recognize how faithful Mary and Joseph were in the process of Jesus making sure that he was being faithful in every, in every single way. Mary and Joseph all the way through. In fact, this is the last time that we hear from Joseph. And there's a lot of speculation as to why that is, but there, there is good thought that uh, he may have died at a very young age. And so Mary was um, having to bear the brunt of raising these children all by herself, but she had the Lord with her. And it's talking about here that when they get into verse 25, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And as I mentioned earlier, we don't know anything else about Simeon except here. But we do know, what we do know from this passage is that he's described in two ways, that he's righteous, meaning that he's there in the temple offering the proper sacrifices, uh, uh, doing according to all that the law was talked about. He was there doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. He was righteous. He was devout. So he wasn't doing it just because it was the right thing to do. He was devout. There was a devotion to him. He loved his Lord. And he wanted to do everything that God wanted him to do, not because he was afraid he was going to go to the hot place at the end. He loved his Lord. He wanted to be with him and he wanted to do what God was calling him to do. And as a result of all of this, it talks about here um, that this man righteous and and devout. But there's some extra here that is very interesting. Waiting for the the consolation of Israel. Consolation where it's talking about here that uh, there's a comfort and a solace that was going to be there. And we can tie this in because later on it was talking about that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Okay, so there's consolation of Israel here. He wasn't going to die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And here is the connection. Because over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were made about the coming of Jesus. And he kept every single one of them. And so this one who is coming... Again, you may have been here last night where we were talking about that all through the Christmas story, it was always God who initiated the encounter. 
It wasn't us. There was no way we could have come up with something like this. But God was always the one that initiated the encounter. And God initiated an encounter by giving Simeon a prophecy that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. All of those things were working together. But it also says this, the Holy Spirit was upon him. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. And later on it talked about how the Holy Spirit was there to reveal the truth about the Messiah coming. And that he came in the spirit, verse 27, to the temple. And that the spirit led him to sing this song that we benefit from 2,000 years later. Stunning how all of this is working. And so it says, again, he came into the, in verse 27, he came into the temple, into the, into the spirit, into the temple. Right words, wrong order. I can't read on Christmas morning. I'm finding that out very quickly. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms. And this, I don't know how you would feel if you went to church and someone from the members and guest services walked up and you had your little baby and walked up, take him in the arms and start singing. Yay. You know, you, you could go either way. You could be like, well, that's sweet. I didn't know that's one of the services they offered here as far as members and guest services. I didn't know that. Or you may be thinking, oh, look at the time, and then try and catch another service up the road that may not be so aggressive with your little one. But regardless, he did this, and as he took him up in in his arms and blessed God, and then he sings this. Now, let's look at this passage here for just a moment. Lord, you are now letting your servant part in peace. Now, when I think of peace, again, sometimes I think of tranquility. I just want a day of peace. I don't want anything going on. I don't want anything. To go, I want the dog to lick. I don't want the dog to bite. I, do, I wanted everything just to go smooth. I want it to be, you know, that's sometimes what we think of as peace or as an absence of war. But I think sometimes when we talk about peace, we need to realize that when God is talking about peace in the, in the scriptures, it's about being reconciled to him about being at peace with him and your relationship with him. Because none of us are born at peace with God. We need to have that. That's another encounter that God gives to us. He makes that happen. He works in us and brings us to where we need to be because it's something we can't do. And in fact, sometimes we don't want to do it. We want to just do our own thing. But now, since he's able to see the Lord and know about the consolation of Israel... Maybe we should talk about that for a moment. The consolation of Israel. Well, what was so inconsolable about Israel at that point? Well, they didn't have their own land. They were under occupation of Rome. Um, There there were so many things that were happening to them that were making them wonder if God was really even listening to them because they hadn't had a prophet for 400 years. They were reading about all these things in the Old Testament, about the promises of the Messiah. They're not seeing any of that come to pass. And after a while, even the most devout of people would begin to wonder. But there's people here that were still hanging in there. And the Holy Spirit revealed this to Simeon. You're going to see the consolation of Israel. And no, it's not going to be an army that's going to come in and rush Rome into the sea. It's going to be in this little baby that's going to come and is going to have a set a trajectory of death so that you might live. He's going to keep the law on your behalf because you couldn't. And he's going, to, he's going to die on the cross one day, and he's going to stand in your place for your sin so that you might have life. You can't do it on your own, and that's what Christmas is all about, is the fact that one did who came to do it on our behalf. 
Now, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. And why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. It may not have looked like it societally, but it looked like in this little baby. That's what was promised. Salvation. My eyes have seen it. He would see the Lord's Christ. Here he is. And that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now this is an interesting thing because you've got to remember all through the Old Testament God revealed himself to one group of people, the Jews. But over and over, and especially as it started getting closer and moving on in history, there was a, an understanding that the Gentiles were going to be starting to in, be included in. And now Simeon is really taking the ball over the goal line and saying, this is someone who is going to be, provide peace for everybody, for all peoples, not just one group of people. And we see it over and over in Scripture where he talks about how Jesus is the light of the world. He that believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Revelation 7, when the 144,000 come along, symbolic of the entirety of the entire world, that every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be there worshiping. It makes us think about how we sometimes are so geopolitical in our understanding now that sometimes we forget that Jesus is Lord of all people. He's for everyone. And we have to remember that. And when we see that, and, we, and we're called to be disciples of all nations, taking that light to the ends of the earth, then it says that it's a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Well, because God's still working through Israel. The, the, the promises and the covenants and the Christ came out of Israel. And so when we're seeing all of this happen, and we're seeing this particular thing, Mary and Joseph marveled, wondered at that. What, what, is, what is happening here? This is, a, this is just something that had to reinforce everything that they had been hearing up to this point. And that's important for us. That's why we have church every Sunday, you know. Because Mary and Joseph could have heard from the angels that one time, and that would have been sufficient. But don't you think that the time and ebb and flow and the inertia of life can pull you away from forgetting those promises? And don't we need to be reminded repeatedly at least once a week? I would say in your word every day, find a good preacher on the radio. Remember radio? Some of you do podcasts. Find a good preacher to remind yourself. Get into something just a little bit every day to where you're constantly being reminded. And this is what was happening with Mary and Joseph. Again, yeah, they heard from the angels. They heard from all of this way back then, but they needed to continue to hear it. Because when you see what's getting ready to happen, Simeon has a word for Mary. Again, I I find this very sad because what happened to Joseph? You know, they, they speculate. But what happened to Joseph? But Mary was going to be the one that was going to see the entirety of his ministry. Was going to see the whole business. Going to see the, you know, him growing up and him becoming in, into the ministry and all the religious leaders going after him and everybody rejecting him. And, and, and suddenly he was going to be um, put up by the authorities and the, the whole town that was that, that he's a part of and he came and he made and he came to rescue and to provide that consolation of Israel and they would be crying, crucify him, crucify him. And they would and, and she would see him die. Praise God she saw him rise again. 
But think of those three days. Think of that, that life of seeing everything that her boy was going through. And so Simeon, I mean, there's no way to prepare. I have children, and I, you try to kind of give them an idea of what the world's going to be like. And sometimes the children may say, you know, thank you for letting me know. And sometimes the children may say, yeah, yeah, things are different now. But you don't know. And, and somebody might try to prepare you for something coming up. When you became a Christian, someone might have tried to prepare you that, you know, Christianity isn't going to be all violins and roses. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough from the outside. It's going to be tough on the inside. You're going to be, there's going to be struggles. And I love what J.C. Ryle one time said, only English minister from the 19th century. He says, we need to realize that Christianity is a fight. And I, he says, I get worried about people who are Christians who don't have a fight. Meaning, not you're fighting with everybody else. That, that's easy and that's lazy. I'm talking about you're fighting with your own sin. You're fighting with your own self. You're fighting with your thoughts. You're fighting with your words. Because there's sometimes you may want to say something and it doesn't, it's not appropriate for a, for a believer. That's the flesh talking. And so it's a fight. You're fighting all the time, developing that muscle so that you can win the battle and relying on the strength of the Lord so that you can persevere. And so, but still, we still have to be warned. I still preach. Simeon still prophesies. Look at what he's saying to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many. Now we see passages talking about how Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble. And so Jesus as that, as that stone could be for some one who causes people to stumble. And they look at him and they say, I don't want anything to do with him. And they stumble over it. But there's also people who look at that same stone and says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is that thing that is set for a building and every other stone, and we're called those living stones, every other stone is measured by where that cornerstone is laid. And so it's amazing that two people, there could be two people sitting here, two people in the same pew, and one of you could see Jesus as a cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus, I'm gonna build my life around you. And others of you that say, this Jesus, he's no good to me, and you stumble over him. Rise and fall of many. You can't look at Jesus and just say, meh. And I've also noticed uh, whenever I'm out there in the marketplace and I hear you know, people using language and profanity, I don't ever hear people use Buddha as a swear word. Ah, Buddha. I don't ever hear people use Muhammad as a swear word. In fact, if you were to do that, you may remember that there was, I think it was out of the New York Post or the New York Times or somewhere where Muhammad, instead of being in a turban, somebody put an actual bomb, like a bowling ball, candle wick bomb on that. And there were protests. That's how they treat taking their God's name in vain and their prophet's name in vain. But you, but you don't hear anybody, oh, Muhammad. But man... Is Jesus Christ's name taken in vain? Is God's name taken in vain? That's the third commandment, by the way. And we hear this over and over, and it's like it's okay. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's totally acceptable. But the thing is, why him? Because he's so divisive. 
And you can't look at Jesus based on what he's done and what he said and, and, uh, and all that he has called us to do and just look at him neutrally. He says, you're either for me or against me. This is the fall and rising of many. This is what happens. But then there's also a sign that is to be opposed. I mean, God used signs and wonders all through history to demonstrate his works and his way and himself. He used these signs and wonders. Well, the, the sign, the sign for all of the people, not just Jews, but everybody, Jesus. If you want to look at how God works, look at Jesus. If you want to look at how God operates, Look at Jesus. You want to look at his will? Look at Jesus. You want to see who God is? Lord, show us the Father, Philip said, and that will be enough. Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see the connectivity that's there of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But here's the tough one for the parents and especially the moms. And a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. That crowd, crucify him. Crucify him. How can we ever look to Jesus and just shrug our shoulders? When we look to Jesus, Jesus is not simply somebody, I said this last night, that gives you warm fuzzies and you know, when, when things are going rough, okay, then I'll talk to him. It's like, it's like your wallet. You don't think about, at least us men, we don't think about our wallets until we need a wallet. And then we pull out a wallet. And we put the wallet back. Okay, I'm done. And then we, we press on. And sometimes we can't put our wallet back in our pocket. It's just one of those things. Merry Christmas. But you, you, but you see the whole thing is that sometimes we just look at Jesus for suggestions, for advice. Pull him down off the shelf when we, need, when we really need somebody. He's Lord of all. Abraham Kuyper said that there's not one square inch of, of all of the universe where God does not say, Mine. And yet here we sometimes are just going about our way, taking him completely for granted and not looking at the fact that the sword that pierced Mary was a sword was when she saw her son, her boy dying on that cross for those that wanted to crucify him. That is, that was tough, I'm sure, for her to hear. But I'm sure it was inexplicable. It was, uh, you, you, she couldn't get it. She couldn't understand it. But what was the point of all of that? Well, Simeon helps us out here too. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When I share Jesus with people, hearts are revealed. When I share P- Jesus with those that are in church world, hearts are revealed. You mean Jesus really wants us to do that? He wants us to say this to someone? He wants us to, he wants us in church every Sunday? He wants us doing this and he wants us caring for this and loving one another even if they're like that? He wants us, he wants us, he wants us. And whenever we are confronted with what Je- who Jesus is and what he wants us to do, what comes to the surface is exactly what's in our hearts. And we could try to cover it up, but he knows. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so this Christmas morning, what we do is try to make sure that we are revealing what is in hearts, not because we want to say, look at you. No, we want to do that because we all realize, if we're honest with ourselves, that there's a mess in us that needs to be continually cleaned up. 
But he loves us enough to send his spirit to reveal those things to us and to get us where we need to be. But it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with him. Now, some of you have, may have decided, I'm, I'm kind of done with him because you're looking at the, how, how should I put this? The warts and wrinkles of his people. You're looking at imperfect people to determine the perfection of Jesus. Please keep in mind, all of us need him. All of us are a mess. All of us are in need of him to continually every single day. And sometimes we get it right, just like you get it right. And sometimes we get it wrong, just like sometimes you get it wrong. But we're all on a journey to try to figure this out, to figure out what he's calling us to do. So that's why when we observe the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is there for us when we hear the word, and what's in our hearts have been revealed, it gives us an opportunity while we are holding this little cup, while we're holding this little cup to be reminded, I am a sinner. And sin did my mother conceive me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So yeah, you're gonna blow it. We're gonna blow it. We're all gonna, we're all gonna mess up in a galactic way. But that's why Christ came in a galactic way. He took care of it all for you, for me. He didn't need it. He became sin for us who knew no sin so that we in turn might have the righteousness of God. We can be right before him, not because of our, our goodness. We can't do it, but because of his. He did do it. When we were sitting in deacon's meeting, every so often we're like, um, so when, when's a good time for us to share the Lord's Supper, to do the Lord's Supper? And it didn't take us very long to think, what a wonderful morning to observe this. Because all of Christmas is leading to Easter. All of Christmas, Jesus came to die for us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take time to partake in the Lord's Supper. This is how we're going to do this. Because one of the things that is most needed for us let me back up. Do all of you have elements? Those of you who are followers of Jesus, do you have elements to be able to partake of this? If you don't, would you raise your hand and we can make sure you have it? All right, looks like we're covered. Okay. It is important for us to make sure that we're taking the time of meditation to confess our sins before him. And I believe by the Holy Spirit, that he will let us know what those sins are to confess. Because it talks about in 1 Corinthians that we do not take this in an unworthy manner. We say, well, who of us is worthy? The ones that are unworthy, the ones that are unworthy are the ones who are approaching this in a cavalier manner. This is his body, the symbol of his body that was broken for you for your sin. This was his blood, the symbol of his blood that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. See what he's done for you. And as you ponder that, we're going to take two or three minutes just to be quiet as if you wouldn't be, wouldn't mind playing in the background. We're going to take two or three minutes. You can pray where you are. I'm going to make use of these steps. And let's get before the Lord these two, two or three minutes on this Christmas day.
to make sure that when he says that he, you shall call his name Jesus because he'll, he'll save his people from their sins, let's make sure we're confessing those sins that he saved us from. Let's pray together and confess together. hearts are pure and right before our Lord as we partake of the Lord's Supper. I always want to remind you of what the Lord's Supper is and why it is, not from my own mouth, but from the mouth of the living God. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, this belongs to you. Of the cup, which is a symbol of the blood shed on our behalf. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, this belongs to you as well.
The scripture goes on, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's going to be one day when we're going to be in heaven and we're not going to have to do the Lord's Supper anymore. And the reason is, is because this is a symbol that we're doing here. He'll be the reality. And what a, what a glorious thing, because we will still see the nail scars in his hands and his feet as a reminder of what it took to get us there. And we're grateful for that. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation because that's what we must be doing where we talk about this beautiful hymn. I heard the bells on, um, on Christmas Day where it's talking about peace on earth. This peace that God gives is not anything that we can procure on our, on our own. We're not going to be able to, like, if you remember, we are the world and all of those other types of things, you know, farm aid and such, where everybody's getting together and they're singing these songs that if we all just band together, we can bring peace on earth. And the fact is we can't do it, but there is one who can. Peace on earth is what he gives us. And peace on earth is what he can give you this morning. Why don't we stand together as we sing this wonderful, wonderful hymn of invitation?